going to go ahead and get started. Um, I can't promise that this will be painless, but I can promise that it'll be quick. So um, let me pray for us, and we're going to jump in, and, and, and you guys are wrapping up. So this is, you know, exhale, here come the holidays. All right, <laughs> let's pray. Jesus, would you uh, meet us here this morning? Um, would your Holy Spirit be with us? Would you open our hearts and our ears and our minds um, to things that we might not normally hear? Would you um, give us grace to um, know you more? And Lord, would you become more beautiful to us today? We pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, so I hope you got your outline. Talking about money. Not personal at all. Nobody's going to be upset. Um, We are going to be very, very, very big picture this morning. Um, Painting this theme of wisdom and prosperity with big, broad strokes. I think Kathleen Nielsen did a great job of kind of outlining some principles I, um, for for wealth and prosperity. And I just want to continue to... um, build upon what she said, and, and maybe even kind of building underneath that a foundation um, that's a little bit stronger for how we enter into thinking about prosperity and poverty and um, kind of the lens that I would want you to always look through when you're thinking about uh, matters of money and finance. So that's where we're headed, and um, let's go. Okay, do you remember going into your first mansion or the first time you saw like a huge house and, you know, you could have just driven by it, but as a kid, presumably, just something that kind of blew you away. Could have even been, you know, like Disney World or or something to that degree. Um, Just those first impressions of wealth, like have and have not kind of impressions. I have two that I want to share with you this morning. I think they fit into what what I'm about to say to you, but I don't care. It's just a way for you to kind of know me. Um, My first impression of wealth came in two different forms. Okay, first, there we lived in a cute little neighborhood in Kirkwood, Missouri. That's where I grew up. And around the block from my house was this huge house that kind of took up probably three or four lots, and it was this corner house, and it was massive, and it was a mansion. I mean, we just called it the mansion. Um, And, you know, when I was talking to my friends about where we would meet, I'd say, well, let's just meet at the mansion, and you'd know what that meant. Okay, so at Halloween, um, they set up their foyer and made it into this big fun house, and so you walked up their big staircase and into their foyer, and they had this whole fun house set up, and they had the Life game board out. Y'all remember Life that had the wheel? And you'd spin the wheel, and it didn't matter what number you got, but you would walk out of there with a full-size candy bar, like a full-size Butterfinger. And I mean, my eyes, like, it just blew my mind that they would spend that money on a full, like, full-size candy bars for all these kids, like... I don't do that now. Um, However, um, it was just amazing to me. Like, oh my gosh, they have so much. 
Um, my second impression came from my grandmother, who, when I would come and stay with her, like good grandmothers do, would take me shopping. And this happened often, like, but one in particular um, occurrence that I want to share with you is we were just shopping, and I'm pretty sure we were in like a Toys R Us, and um, if you're a parent, you know you don't take your children into Toys R Us. That is a grandparent's job. And so for me to go into a Toys R Us was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I remember seeing this Barbie kitchen and like, oh, I would love that Barbie kitchen, grandmother. And she just bought it for me. And it wasn't my birthday. It wasn't Christmas. It was just because. And this extravagant to a seven-year-old gift um, just blew my mind. Like, this bar- I got this Barbie kitchen just because. Um, what kind of money do you have? <laughs> like, what else can I get? <laughs> um, these are just really simple stories, but I want you guys to know that, like, we all have a framework for money and wealth and prosperity, and that starts really early. Your kids know about money. They know what it gets you. They know what they have and what they don't have. Um, And we all have these stories. Well, God has a story too. Um, And his narrative is a little different than ours. (laughs) Uh, His narrative, the Bible tells, or his narrative of prosperity, and it also starts early. Um, It starts at creation and runs through eternity. Uh, You see, the Bible tells us that God made everything owns everything, and rules everything. Um, And time out. We're on God's unimaginable wealth on your outline. I'm sorry, I didn't. I'm sure you caught on to that, but anyway, that's where we are. Okay, so there isn't an ounce of gold or silver on this earth from the beginning of time to the end that isn't his. As believers, when we want to think about and examine the subject of prosperity and the wisdom that we might need to manage and engage with wealth and with poverty, it's here that we have to start. Proverbs 3, 19 through 20 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding. He established the heavens. By his knowledge, the, deep broke, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Y'all, he, it's all his. Because he made it. All that is on earth, all that is in creation, from the beginning to the end, is the Lord's. His wealth is unimaginable. And there is nothing that we earn, inherit, grow, or lose that's not his. The writers of the Proverbs know this, and as they expound wisdom concerning poverty and wealth, you have to realize that this is the foundation on which they stand. Remember, the Proverbs are good words to believers. This is God's law practically played out. So let's consider some of the narratives of the Old Testament in relationship to prosperity for God's people. Can you think of instances where God gave and instances where God took away? In the Old Testament, we see this primarily in the narrative of land, the promised land to be exact. We see God's people receive the gift of the promised land and lose it over and over again. It's uh, pretty much the whole Old Testament. Like you throw a dart at the Old Testament and you're going to probably land in a place where they're either in the land or they're out of the land. Um, Sorry. Um, But who is in control 
of that the whole time? Who is the one really dictating who's prosperous in the land and who's not? It's God. And how can he do this? Because it's all his. There's not a king or ruler or army that dictates to God what he owns and doesn't own, what he has or doesn't have. It's all his all the time. It's an unimaginable wealth. So where do we fit into this story? Um, And this is moving us into point number two, our unimaginable poverty. Um, Do you know your own poverty? Uh, Certainly spiritual, but physical as well. In 2012, uh, President Obama made a comment, and y'all may remember this. Um, I know I do. He said in a speech, um, you didn't build this. You didn't build this. And this got just pulled into the mainstream media. But he was referring to the infrastructure of the United States that makes prosperous life possible here. The roads and the bridges that, that get you to where you need to go to do the job you need to do. All of the other people kind of behind the scenes. Um, I remember being quite startled by his comment. Almost offended because I have quite a few entrepreneurs in my family who've worked very hard for the life that they have. But after a while contemplating his statement, I realized there was quite a lot of wisdom in it. And I was really humbled and began to think about what it took from others for the prosperity in my own life to have occurred. I've been so blessed to have been raised in a loving home, to have my mind nurtured through an incredible education. I've always had a roof over my head when I wasn't paying the mortgage. Um, I've always had clothes on my back and food in my belly. And I'm not even to the point in my life where I can say I've supported myself for the majority. Like I'm not over that line yet still. My family is still, the majority of my life has been supported by other people. I'm a product of dependence. And in that dependence, I've experienced great blessing and great prosperity. Have I worked hard? Yes. Have I pursued good things and made good choices? Yes. Was that on my own? No. (laughs) Um, Do you know this about yourself? Do you know that you are a dependent creature from the very beginning? Um, When the New Testament talks about having faith like a child, I think we kind of make that too cute. Um, Children need everything. (laughs) And they need it from somebody else, and they can't get it for themselves. It's not that pretty. I think about a baby who will not survive without the care of another. Um, I think about, you know, some people in my own house who can't survive without without the care of another. Um, The needs of a child are immense. Um, Human beings, as the creation story recounts, are the apex of God's creation and ultimately his greatest treasure. We are made in the very image of God. We house eternity in our hearts, and his law is written on our souls. We are precious to God. But our brokenness, our sin, has placed us in a very precarious situation. And precarious is not strong enough a word. One that no amount of money or status or wealth can ever save us from. Our sin is the New City Catechism, question answer from 16, question answer from question question 16 with the answer, which Ryan quoted on Sunday too says that sin is the rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, a rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, 
resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. I'm going to say that last part again. The disintegration of all creation is that bad. (laughs) Which is why the writers of Proverbs can say in chapter 11, verse 4, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. In our brokenness, and I know y'all know this, but we need to hear it again, we are not just spiritually lesser, our bodies are decaying. Death entered the world through our sin, and we are not rich enough to buy our way out of it. This levels the playing field for all of us. No one can escape this state of poverty. Our poverty is unimaginable. It's who we are, and understanding this is crucial to having wisdom in regards to wealth. We are a mess. We are a broken mess, and we are a broken mess with our money in tow. We abuse it, we misuse it, we lose it, we hoard it, and we depend on it. It's not pretty what we would do if we were left to ourselves. But where does that leave us? This sounds really, really incredibly hopeless. And I just want to run back through that story for a second. God is unimaginably wealthy, creating, ruling, owning everything, everywhere from the beginning to the end of time. We are his creation, but we are totally broken in our sin, in our running from God to really anything else that's even slightly appealing. Um, But did you catch what I said about being God's treasure, about being quite precious to him? Here's how this sounds in the Old Testament from Deuteronomy 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And here's how this sounds in the New Testament from Hebrews 12.2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are that joy. We are that people. And we get to see God's economy played out in real time through his unimaginable generosity. Third point. God purchased us back to himself, paying the debt of our sin with the life and death of his own son. And why would the creator and sustainer of all things give himself up for a sinful, fickle, cheap thrills people? Because we are his joy and God is unimaginably generous. He literally cannot not be generous. He is unimaginably generous. God has always promised his people prosperity in him. And in Jesus, we see God's generosity in flesh itself. And this is the wisdom we really need. This is the wisdom that the Proverbs point to as the most valuable thing. What's going to save us um, from our love of all the powerless things, which includes money. Proverbs tell us, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. This is wisdom speaking. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. The New Testament says it this way again in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So with this big picture in mind and this foundation set, we can read the Proverbs with regard to prosperity and poverty and engage in godly living out of response to God's undeserved and unimaginable generosity. 
God has secured our future. He transferred his unimaginable wealth to us, which is why Peter and Paul can both call us heirs with Christ. Our future is full. It's not hopeless or empty. It is filled with everything we need. And it's no longer full of shame, fear, doubt, worry, and ultimately condemnation. And that's what Proverbs wants us to live out in faith while we wait for Christ to return. The Old Testament people were waiting on the Messiah. He came. Now we are waiting for his joy to be complete. It's the same promise. Um, We are now waiting for all the people who will get to share in this inheritance. And so our wealth and our poverty and need now have this purpose. They're not empty. They're not unimportant. They matter. They have a purpose. And now we're going to move into some application. I love the article that Kelly sent out by Kevin DeYoung outlining the principles for wealth. And, you know, if you go into those without a foundation of God's unimaginable wealth, our unimaginable poverty, and God's unimaginable generosity, you will read the Proverbs and you will either read them and find a lot of shame or you will find a lot of self-righteousness. Does that make sense? Like you're going to read the Proverbs and either be condemned by them or be puffed up by them. You've got to read it in light of, of this, this foundation of what the Bible says about who God is and who we are. So let's just look at a few of these things on your outline. Um, let me get my outline so I can have them here. So he just goes through 10 like principles for wise living with your money. Um, but I'm going to kind of add, you know, what we've just talked about to them. All right. So there are extremes. The first one, there are extremes of wealth and poverty um, that provide unique temptations to those who live in them. What do we get to show the world in our wealth and in our poverty? It's just a question for you. Um, Number two, don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses. What will you believe is enough? What does contentment look like in your life? Knowing that you are an heir with Christ, that it's all yours. The rich and poor are more alike than you think. What will we share with each other in this life? How separated are you from other classes of people? Um, you can't outgive God. The Lord has modeled this, this unlimited generosity. So what will our lives in turn model? I mean, you can't outgive God. Let's try. Let's try. And let's model that to a watching world and to watching and to generations beneath us. Number five, poverty is not pretty. What does it, what, how will we lavish on those in need? How will we lavish good gifts on those in need? Because we know that good gifts have been lavished on us. Can we help one another? Uh, number six, money cannot give you ultimate security. Who owns it all? Does your life reflect that you know that God owns it all and that anything that you have is ultimately from him? Your mind, your skills, all of that is from the Lord. 
The Lord hates those who get rich by injustice. What are you not going to sacrifice at the altar of wealth? Are you taking from someone else um, unjustly uh, to meet your own needs? The Lord loves who though the Lord loves those who are generous to the poor. Will you faithfully give because you have been given everything? Do you see how this foundation like just changes how you're reading the proverbs? I'm not reading the proverbs. The Lord loves who are generous to the poor, and and I don't feel the weight of that condemnation. I feel freedom. God has given me his son. What would I withhold from someone else? Hard work and good decision making usually lead to increased prosperity. Will you steward the gifts that you have been given? Remembering that they are gifts. That you are not entitled to them. Um, You know, I think about my uh, children and how different their gifts are. And what's that going to look like for their lives later? Um, but we have, we have one reader. I wish we had more. But um, I just, she will, she will sit down and read and read and read and read and read and read. And I just love it. And how am I training her to steward that in God's economy? I didn't do that. I didn't make her a reader. I mean, we read in our house. I lecture a lot about reading. But, like, it's not like I sat down and read with her, like, oh, she was the child that I really sat down and read with. She's just a reader. Like, it's just how she was made. The oldest one I read with all the time. It got me nowhere. So, anyway, (laughs) how are you going to steward the gifts that you have been given? And then finally, number 10, which just I would encourage y'all to circle these verses in number 10 if you're going to, you know, take some verses back to your family or you wanted something to contemplate for this week. Um, these, These verses here are just, I think they're great. Money isn't everything. It does not satisfy. It's inferior to wisdom. It is inferior to righteousness. It is inferior to the fear of the Lord. It is inferior to humility. It is inferior to good relationships. How are you holding wealth and prosperity in proper order with godliness? Um... What does that look like in your life? Are you fearful for the future because of finances? I'm not saying that's not valid. But are you holding that in perspective with the promises God has made you and the reality that it's all his and he withholds no good gifts from his children ever, ever. God does not withhold anything good from you. He's not withholding anything that you need from you. Um, I'm going to just close with a short story about um, trusting God for his provision and, and using money wisely. Um, when I was, I graduated from Auburn and I went on staff with RUF at the University of Tennessee and you have to raise support, you have to raise your salary to go on, to go and do this work. So I started fundraising that summer and um, the Lord was really gracious and provided in, in ways that I couldn't imagine. And, um, and I encourage you guys all to have to, to raise money for something. It's, it's quite humbling. Um, and it's quite humbling to, to your family members who just spent a load of money on your college education. Um, but I had like, I needed a certain amount just to get on campus. And I wasn't going to get on campus in time. 
And it was just this desperate kind of situation because um, I, I didn't know where it was going to come from. I had exhausted kind of all of my avenues for giving. And, you know, we're just praying and trusting that the Lord's going to, to make this happen. And honestly, like, I was doubtful and very discouraged and found myself really like, Lord, did I do this? without you with me? Like, did I just decide to do this and then, you know, you weren't really, you don't want me to go do this? Like, is that how the, the money would play out? And I got this phone call from a friend of mine who I had just graduated from college with, and he was like, hey, Ada, this is Paul. Hey, Paul, what are you doing? Nothing. Hey, listen, my grandmother died. Oh my gosh, Paul, are you okay? I'm so, so sorry. How, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. She'd been really sick for a long time. It was a blessing. But she left me a ton of money. And I know that you're raising money. Do you need some? I'd like to, I'd like to tithe this to you. And when I tell you that it was the exact amount of money that I needed to get on, not just to get on campus, but to, like, to finish my year of fundraising, um, that's what it was. Like It was just this moment of... Okay, um, thank you so much. And y'all, Paul was 22 years old. <laughs> Paul, was, Paul was about to go to graduate school, and I know he needed that money. Like, he could have used that for his education, and nobody would have been the wiser. But I just, that moment of just lavish generosity, and Paul didn't do that for me, like, Paul didn't have a crush on me. He was just my friend. Like, he wasn't trying to, you know, get something out of me. Paul loved Jesus and wasn't worried about money. Now, that could have been because he was 22. But, like, it was just a moment of just extreme generosity from Paul but from the Lord. And I've taken that with me my whole life. Like, these moments of giving and generosity. And has Paul made that back? Yes, Paul's an ophthalmologist. <laughs> he probably is, he's making it back today, probably two or three times. <laughs> like, it's just this, it was just this moment in my life of money, money is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. And he's going to use it for his purposes, and we get to be a part of that. I just want to encourage you with that. Um, I'm sure there are many things that I didn't say today that you would have liked me to say, but that's okay. Let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you. For-